let's check that out. So this really cool little walkway right here is called Raccoon's Holler. And it's here in Denver, Colorado, and I have had many, many precious, incredible times walking and talking with God on this little walkway. I want to introduce you to today's speaker, but it's important to note that I chose Alex Lawrence and his story well before it was uh, Dave was in serious trouble. I mean, he's been in serious trouble for a while, but well before it looked like things were going to go the way that they did. And uh, I want to mention that because Alex's story and his sermon is about what do you do when you just, you know, the things that you were hoping that God would do didn't happen and you're just devastated. And the reason why I picked that was because, as you know, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about identity, like who you really are in Christ, who God really made you to be, because we've been saying that if you know who you really were made to be, then you are much more likely to actually become it. As Mike Hatch pointed out so wonderfully last week, the whole point of what God's doing is, is that he's trying to write his story. He's trying to write his testimony through us, through our lives. And so it's now time to look at, as we enter into who God made us to be, what happens when things don't turn out like we want them to. So I really felt like this thing from Alex was the next perfect step in our journey. Plus, I felt like it was a, a great message on Memorial Day when a lot of stories have some pretty tragic and devastating ends. Uh, with that said, I just want to tell you that Alex is on our council. Uh, Alex and Chelsea started coming to the church several years ago, and they just immediately fit in. They just immediately went to work. They just immediately tried to find where they could take their gifts and talents and pour them out. And it wasn't for quite a while that I had actually heard Alex and Chelsea's story. And I have to tell you, it is amazing. So with that, I just want to introduce you on this Memorial Day weekend to a really dear, wonderful man of God, Alex Lawrence. Please give him a big Lake Sam welcome. So this really cool little walkway. Is this on? Yeah, I guess so. Wow, that's loud. <sighs> okay. Um, you thought you could escape the Kurt introduction when he's out of town, you were wrong, by the way. According to Eric Lee, as long as you've been up here three or more times, you're not allowed to complain, and so I'm not going to miss my chance. You, <laughs> you guys are scary, you know, just so you know. Um, that said, uh, I'm Alex, if you don't know me, and today we're going to talk about trust. When I was growing up, it was feast or famine a lot of the time. We, uh, we didn't always have enough to make the rent or the bills, and when I got old enough to help, I'd go on hauling or construction jobs with my dad to try and scrape together enough money to do that. Um, and it was, it was almost funny how obvious it was that we weren't providing for ourselves. Every couple of months, we'd get, we'd end up, you know, not quite able to make it, and at the last minute, a windfall would come and it would be an extra job or, or a few times someone even came up to my dad and handed him a check and said, look, I just, I really felt the Lord wanted you to have this. And it was so consistent, so obvious for years. And I took this lesson from it. 
God provides. We do everything we can, and God does the rest. That's the deal. That's how life works. So what does it mean to trust? Well, trust is a part of a relationship. It can, it can only exist in that context. If there's no relationship, there's no trust. And as I grew up, I learned that I couldn't trust my folks to be able to pay the bills. They needed help. And I could trust that God would be that help as long as we did everything we could. I learned this because this was the pattern of my life. This was what happened to me so consistently that it was, it was easier to believe that it would keep happening than it would stop. And by and large, we need to do this, at least to some degree, right? We have to be able to tell the difference between someone that's going to hurt us and someone that's going to help us. And, and seeing patterns and setting conditions and allowing them to be met or not is how we learn that. I mean, can, can you imagine if you gave your full trust to everyone you met, how long do you think it would take before you got hurt or robbed or worse? And that's the issue, isn't it? I trusted God with my provision because he'd so continuously shown me he was willing to provide. But there was no promise there. He didn't declare that I would never go hungry or homeless, that I would, that I would always be safe or happy. There was just expectation. There was my expectation placed on him because of the patterns of my life. I need to be clear here. This, this, wasn't, um, this wasn't something I expressed. I don't think I even really acknowledged it other than as gratitude when God did provide for us. It was more, it was more like the chairs that you're sitting on. Until I mentioned them, you weren't thinking about them. <laughs> but you're sure expecting them to keep holding you up, aren't you? Um, Rick Curtin graciously agreed to pray for the sermon this morning. Thank you, Rick. And uh, please pray for this and another church as well. Father, I thank you for trust and for a message on trust. And uh, Father, we just pray that, I pray that we will put our trust in you as we hear what is said today. And I pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say about trust. And we just, uh, we put our trust in you now. We choose to put our trust in you now. And I pray for Alex, Father, and I thank you for his heart. And I thank you for the privilege of praying for him as a brother. And that he stands in faithfulness to you, Lord. And also lift up the church in Nepal and, Father, for provision for them and for trust to be growing in Nepal. And, uh, Father, I pray for open doors now that there is need for, uh, for rescue and for help uh, because of the devastation there. And we just pray for uh, your Holy Spirit to move and for many people to come to know you and for freedom uh, to share the word of God freely in Nepal. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> um, fast forward to a couple of years ago. I married that beautiful woman right there. <laughs> and, um, and by the end of the honeymoon, Chelsea had gone blind in her left eye. We spent months going in and out of the hospital hoping that she wouldn't lose it. 
her disease had come back. It's called central nervous system vasculitis. This means that her immune system attacks blood vessels that support nerve cells. So usually the attack happens in her brain. This time it was on her optic nerve. After a few months in and out of the hospital, they declared her healthy. And it was great. And we had a barbecue to celebrate. And that night, she went into convulsive seizures. And we went back to the hospital. Once we were there, she slipped into a state called status epilepticus. This meant she was having seizures faster than her body could recover from them. In her case, it was averaging three times per minute for a week. And during that week, I lost track of how many times the doctors switched Caesar meds. They, they tried everything they could think of. It was, I don't know, 10 probably. And they couldn't understand why they weren't working. And they were telling me that there's running out of options, that there, there is likely brain damage. And if she wakes up, she could be severely disabled. Of course, that's if she wakes up, because if seizures don't stop, she wasn't going to. What do you say to that? What do you say when the day before you're celebrating recovery? What happened to our deal, God? This isn't how life is supposed to work. I do everything I can, and you do the rest. We drag her all over for months, hoping she's not going to lose her eye. I get a job as a temp, and we move to the east side away from any support system, and just when they say that she's healthy, you take it away. Why? See, I didn't say this out loud. I didn't really express it, but this was what was happening in me. This was the result of my shattered expectations. Actually, I have to turn this thing on. Ours wasn't the same class of tragedy, even, but I reacted a lot like this. In Job 7, have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? You see, Job trusted God because of his experience with him. He'd seen the patterns all of his life. He'd lived righteously, and God had blessed him. He expected provision, safety, maybe even some happiness. And when he lost those things, he questions God about his broken expectations. You ever look up and wonder what God could be thinking when the damage seems so pointless, so arbitrary? That's how I trusted. I think I'm not alone. There are some things we don't really realize we're counting on until they're gone. And then it's like, well, it's like losing your chair. Of course, we do have better examples. In Daniel chapter three, we see a king mad with power threatened to throw these three men into a furnace for not worshiping an idol. 
And it's not a furnace, right? There's a difference between saying, I will throw you into a furnace, and I will throw you into that furnace, right? <laughs> the furnace is right there. Their guys are stoking it up, and it is so hot that the people stoking the fire are dying. On the edge of the fire, they're getting burned so bad that they die. And these guys might as well have laughed in his face. We don't even need to answer you. But just so you know, here, let me lose this real quick. But just so you, hello, got it? Yes. But just so you know, God can save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping a statue. That is commitment. It is trust without expectation. I'm with God, come what may. See, the problem here, it's us. We see patterns in our lives, patterns in our relationship with God, and we set expectations based on those patterns. And then we require God to meet those expectations to be considered trustworthy. We end up, or at least I ended up, without realizing it, giving God instruction on how my life was to go if he wanted to keep my trust. After a few days, Chelsea's family arrived, and they told me I needed to rest. I needed to go home. This is a marathon. It's not a race. And if I stayed there, I was just going to lose it. And they were right. They were so right. So I went home. But I didn't know what to do once I got there. I mean, I, I think looking back on it that I was sort of in shock. I, I, would, I would stand up and immediately forget why. I got up and sit back down. And I would, I would walk to a different room and then not know why I was there. And I would, I would try to talk out loud to keep track of what I was doing. And I would forget it in the middle of the sentence. And um, eventually, I recovered enough to call my friend Kyle. And I... Um, I talked with him, and he just kind of, I, I think he realized what kind of state I was in. He, uh, he just kind of stayed with me through the night, you know, on the phone, and talked me through making dinner and getting ready for bed and just simple things, you know. By the end of the night, I'd, I'd mostly come back to myself. But clearly, I needed help. I knew that if my friend had to walk me through making dinner, that I couldn't handle this alone. I needed a comforter. But it seemed like God wouldn't comfort me. I didn't really understand it. It seemed like he wanted something from me first. He wanted me to let go of the outcome. <coughs> Excuse me. You see, all my life, I've had challenges and difficulties to get through. And all my life, I worked toward the outcome that I wanted. And I knew that usually I couldn't do it on my own. And all my life, God filled in the rest. That was the deal. But now I couldn't do anything. I just, I just went to work during the day and slept at the hospital, hoping I could put a dent in those $10,000 a day bills. But, but that couldn't help her. I, I couldn't help her. 
And if I couldn't do my part, what if God wasn't going to do his? And then, then in the middle of that fear, when I go to him for comfort, he wants me to just let go, to just put her wholly into his hands and trust him with whatever happens. He lets people die all the time. We'd only been married for a few months. How am I supposed to just let go? How am I supposed to just say that I would make it if he took her? It didn't matter that I couldn't help. How could I leave her in his hands when he lets his daughters and his sons all over the world suffer and die? Honestly, if I was stronger, I, I think I would have just stayed stuck there, bitter and alone. But I was broken. I could barely function. And more than I needed to be in control, and more than I needed someone to blame, I needed a comforter. I had to have one. And so I said those words that that they almost felt like I was betraying my wife. I said, even if you take her, I will still love you. And then, then I stopped expecting her to live. And I, I tried to come up with a good way to explain that last part. See, how do you explain how a lack of expectation feels? I want you to think of it like this. You go for a walk on a nice summer evening it's warm, so you don't bring a jacket, right? And you get a mile or two out, and all of a sudden, a hard rain comes down and reminds you that there's a... <laughs> that you live in Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> you're cold, and you're wet, and you're miserable. Part of that misery is because you're cold and wet. But part of it is because you expected to be warm and dry. If instead that night you had, you had gone swimming in the lake with your friends, you'd be just as cold, you'd be a lot more wet, but you'd be laughing about it, enjoying it. Because you had no expectation of being warm and dry. You hadn't planned to be warm and dry. And so the cold and the wet they just didn't bother you so much. It was, it was kind of like that. I was still devastated. I was still broken. My wife still lay dying beyond my help. But now that I didn't expect her to live, I could function. Now that I didn't blame God so much for not stopping this, I could take comfort in him. It's a weird thing to take comfort in someone that could stop your pain and doesn't do it. Shortly after that, they tried chemo. They thought if none of the seizure meds were working, then maybe they could weaken her immune system enough that the attacks would stop and that would do the trick. And they were right, they were right. The next day, she woke up, and we had a few amazing hours where it seemed like she had come back to herself all the way. 
felt like a miracle, honestly. I mean, one day we're, we're hoping for brain damage because it's better than death. And the next day, she's back to normal. I let myself feel relief. I, I almost felt like it had meaning, you know, that, that we'd gone through this horrible thing and God had worked good out of it. That was about when the hallucination started. She was terrified. She thought she was dying, that she was being tested. She cried and apologized to me for dying and leaving me alone. For the next two weeks, she was thinking she was being tricked. She thought that she had, she was already dead and that we were trying to keep her from getting to heaven. If you know my wife, she fought that as hard as you might imagine she would. She dragged six nurses down the hallway once before I stopped her. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I let go of expecting her to live and we end up with this, this shadow of my wife who doesn't recognize me, who has been so damaged that now she has to have her own orderly in the ICU. We'd had three great weeks on our honeymoon, four hard months of hoping she wouldn't lose her eye, and now she was so damaged by these seizures that we'd never have a real conversation again. This is now our life. I had a few hours of hope and then I lost her all over. And there it is again. Did my trust depend on the outcome? The next morning, her family came back and watched her again. They told me to take a break. I think without them, I would have just burned myself out, honestly. But I, again, I didn't know what to do, but it was Sunday, so what the hell, I went to church. <laughs> and they, they sang all these happy songs and they praised God and they talked about how much he loved them and I stewed bitter and depressed around these these happy people and their easy lives. I never felt so abandoned. I went home to an empty condo and I tried to let myself rest, but I couldn't. I prayed, I begged, I cried. At some point I passed out. Second Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord caused the son of David and Bathsheba, Uriah's widow, to be very sick. David prayed to God for the baby. He fasted and went into his house and stayed there on the floor all night. The elders of his family came to him and tried to pull him up from the ground, but he refused to get up or to eat food with them. And on the seventh day, the baby died. 
Sometimes we go to God with everything we have and we step out in faith and nothing happens. It feels so trite to say that it's all just part of the plan as if the whole of human suffering was something that God wanted or intended rather than him just allowing us to inherit the broken world we were born into. This is not a story about faith. It's not a story about working good from bad or just accepting that we can't see the whole picture and one day it will all be clear. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes bad leads to more bad. And sometimes we don't get the help that we feel like a loving father would provide. In those moments, platitudes about the purpose of pain mean nothing. Again, I needed a comforter. Again, I needed to let go of the outcome because I was going to learn this lesson or fall apart again. So I stopped expecting her to get better. But I hoped she would. And I went to work during the day while my mom took time off and stayed with her. And I slept at the hospital. And slowly, bit by bit, she did get better. And I kept learning that lesson as the doctors tried all sorts of antipsychotics to stop the hallucinations and other pills until it seemed like they were just guessing. But even through that, she got better. We finally convinced her that she hadn't died. Her hallucinations became double vision and then normal vision. The next few months were trials with bad doctors and bankruptcy and horrible drug allergies. But she got better, slowly, painfully, but better. I need to be very clear here. The recovery, it's not the point. It was wonderful, but it's not the point. The point was letting go of the outcome, even when what was happening was grinding me into nothing. And this isn't some fatalistic, whatever happens, happens attitude, okay? Letting go of your expectations doesn't mean giving up hope for more. It doesn't mean that you don't pray and beg and cry for the good things to happen. David prayed for his son until his final breath. And look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? God can save us, and he will. But even if he does not, we will never worship your idol. There was no lack of faith there, but there was no lack of trust either. Their faith and their trust were unrelated to the outcome. I don't know why God doesn't stop pain but I do know how much he cares. I know that he comes and he sits and he mourns with those of us who mourn. And this tragedy, this watching my wife die and the every bit as difficult watching her recover 
part of it that was mine to carry. It wasn't just mine anymore. It was ours. I watched my wife. He watched his daughter. And we sat there mourning together. And I know, too, that in some ways I'm happy he is the way he is because he couldn't stop all of our pain without stopping us, without preventing us from hurting each other. And even though sometimes I wish he would, he doesn't. He doesn't control us. He lives with us. He talks to us. He laughs with us. He comes down, gets born into our race, and dies for us, but he doesn't control us. He just loves us through the pain. So, what does all this mean to you? We've got to be honest here. Not much. <laughs> it's a touching story, sure, but I've forgotten lots of touching stories. Okay? This comes back to the beginning. Trust is a part of a relationship. I can tell you why I trust God. I can never give you my trust in Him. No one can give you a relationship with God. But He opened the way. He died to give us that chance. And He's thrilled when we take it. I'd like you all to reach under your chairs and grab the three by five card and pen that's waiting for you there. We're going to take a minute right now and talk to him. And Pam is going to grace us with some background music. I want you to ask him about those places where you're disappointed or fearful, frustrated and angry, whatever it is. And let it out to him. It's not like he doesn't know anyway. I mean, censoring yourself for God doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And if you're in that wonderful place where disappointment and expectations are not a barrier between you and God, then I want you to think about and pray about the things that could be. Because you don't want to be caught expecting to be in the sun on a rainy day. When you get your answer, write it down. Remember it. Pray that he teaches us to just live with him instead of demanding things from him all the time. Go ahead now, if you please.
seems like most of us have got something down. Remember, letting go of the outcome doesn't mean letting go of what's good. It doesn't mean not hoping for the right thing, the good thing. It doesn't mean we don't beg and cry and pray and live like good things will happen. It just means that we don't demand them from God. It means that we're not trying to control Him. And don't do this because you force yourself to, okay? Not to, not to do the right thing or whatever. God doesn't want guilt. He doesn't want you to be a, a hypocrite, okay? Do this because the life that's in you wants to be the kind of person that responds to anger with love, the kind that responds to despair with hope. Because the whole point of this was not for him to drag us out of the sea and dump us on the shore and save the lives that we had. He gave us new ones, and they're scary. You don't have to deny being afraid to live like you're not. Let's go to him in prayer. My God, my Father, my Savior, my friend, my love, thank you. Thank you for our trials. Thank you for these, these things teach us about ourselves and about you and help us to be who you made us to be. I pray as we struggle to trust, as we struggle to learn, to know you, that you just stick with us because a lot of the time we're not going to know how badly we need it. This and all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.